0: So we've been together now for pretty much a whole day, and engaging in this practice of the cultivation of loving-kindness, entering into this journey, or we could perhaps also understand it as continuing, in a journey of deepening our heart's capacity, and our life capacity, really, to connect with and to Express to bring forth and to offer into this world the care and the kindness that is in our hearts. That's very much at the, the core of what moves our life. And it can seem like quite an ordinary, quite a simple thing. In some ways it is. And yet at the same time, it's something really quite beautiful, really quite lovely. Not just the quality of kindness itself, but the the aspiration and the willingness to engage with the process of bringing it forth. We can sometimes think of spirituality in many esoteric terms. We can speak about Profound and wonderful teachings, and of course, they are important and precious and powerful. And yet, in so many ways, much of what really makes a difference in our life, it seems, comes back to kindness, comes back to this capacity to turn again towards our life, towards another, towards our experience with a sense of care and friendliness. There's a very famous and often quoted passage from the recorded teachings of the Buddha in which he is speaking with Ananda, his uh, attendant and could say right-hand monk or something like that, and Ananda asks him, he says, would it not be true to say that half of our practice is for the cultivation of loving-kindness? And the Buddha's response was, "No, Ananda, it would not be true to say this. It would be true to say that all of our practice is for the cultivation of loving kindness." And so, I begin with that quote because sometimes, probably not for those of you who've chosen to come on a loving kindness retreat, but um, which is all of us here pretty much. Um, But there can sometimes be the sense that you know it's almost like the the second cousin, or not the second cousin, the sort of the poor cousin to the the insight practice. We can sometimes hear this kind of story or this perspective expressed, or and yet probably we're here, I imagine, because we know something in us knows that's not true. That the the practices of insight and freedom are simply the other side of the coin. Of practices of kindness and love, of compassion and care, and again, you know, beginning with well-known quotes, the uh, the response of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, when asked about his religion, and what is your religion? His response: My religion is kindness. I think there's something being expressed, something pointed to here about the centrality of this. And it's, it's a universal, a universally valued quality of the heart. So what is it that it rests upon? What is it that supports it? This, that's so precious, so powerful, and acknowledged in such clear terms as central, pivotal, to spiritual practice. Kindness arises naturally from appreciation. This is something that the Buddha understood and spoke about. Kindness arises naturally from appreciation. When we value something or someone, we care about it and we wish to take care of it. We wish to give support to it. When we value something, we quite naturally find that responsivity of the heart coming forth when we appreciate someone we don 't talk about we sort of we can talk about valuing someone but it sounds a little commercial sort of in a way it's not quite what we maybe mean but that sense of appreciating appreciation it's, it's a lovely word it has um, a number of meanings as i 'm sure you know it involves the uh, the sense of to appreciate something is to understand it, when we use the word in English. Well, it also has the expression of sort of valuing something. When we appreciate something, we value it. But when something appreciates, it actually becomes more valuable. And something I'm not quite sure if that's the, the verb or whatever part of language that is. I'm not good on those sort of things. Um, but the sense of when something appreciates it increases in value. And it's like somehow our capacity to appreciate adds value to something which appreciates by being appreciated. If you if that makes sense. It's like when we bring forth a sense of caring and extend it towards ourselves or another, what that actually it it, it, it recognizes the value, it responds to the value, the preciousness, the Importance of what's there, the being, the life. And it enhances it. It amplifies it. It nourishes it so that it grows. And so in the process of extending kindness, we're both developing our own capacity for that, but insofar as we're extending it to ourself or others, ourself or the other who's receiving it, the value of the... For, the recipient's value increases also. In a, it's it's not, not that their intrinsic value increases, but it's like the sense of how we value them is enhanced. And that sense of something appreciating, appreciating, appreciation. This is something we'll speak more about. But this is what the Buddha suggested we turn our minds towards as a way of supporting the arising of kindness. Seeing how easily we get caught in patterns and habits and conditioned streams of thinking in which we orient not towards what we appreciate and what we value, but where we tend to pick out, highlight and focus on that which we do not value, appreciate or like. The things that are less than ideal, less than perfect, things that we find uncomfortable challenging difficult and when we allow the mind's tendency when we don't address the mind's tendency to go in that way to you know and it's it's not just our minds it's we see it all around if you get it by a newspaper or you look at the news we see the tendency that what we're really interested in is all the things that have gone horribly wrong really that's what sells newspapers good news doesn't get on the front page very often sadly. It's not that there isn't plenty of it. But there's some way in which we it's you know, born of our, our wiring in a way in which we're looking for danger to protect ourselves from. We tend to focus in that way. And so there's an invitation here. It's not that we're denying that there are things which are difficult and problematic or that things which couldn't really benefit from some attention and we could say improvement. But when we fixate on that, there's a certain tightening, a contracting, a limiting of our natural flow of care that that flows, that moves basically with that sense of appreciation. And so in the practice of loving kindness, we're invited to turn to that sense, that quality, that possibility of appreciating. Appreciating ourselves, appreciating others, and this is, is a way in which it's like, and it's, it's been described as a relearning, learning something again, that uh, expressed very beautifully in a poem. I'd like to, I'd like to read called "St Francis and the Sow" by Galway Canal. He says, "The bud stands for all things." Even those things that do not flower for everything flowers from within of self-blessing though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness to put a hand on the brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch it is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing just as St Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of the sow and told her in words and in touch blessings of earth on the sow. And the sow began remembering all down her thick length from the earthen snout all the way through the fodder and slops to the spiritual curl of the tail from the hard spininess spiked out from the spine down through the great broken heart to the blue milk and dreaminess, spurting and shuddering from the 14 teats into the 14 mouths, sucking and blowing beneath them. The long, perfect loveliness of sow. And it's a really, I find it a very powerful and touching image, that sense of a this sort of wonderful beast or being, we could say, distributing this or offering this incredible bounty to her piglets. And yet something maybe in her heart that doesn't quite know, doesn't quite remember, doesn't quite realize what a magnificence this is that's happening, what a wonderful thing, what a loveliness that's here in that. And the the retelling, the reminding that St. Francis has expressed as offering there. This is really what we're, in some ways we could say, we're offering in this practice of loving and kindness, and particularly where we're beginning with ourselves, or working and exploring this process of offering loving kindness to ourselves, and seeing how for many of us it's not easy. How There's a sense of, no, I don't quite deserve it, or it's not okay, or what about all the things that I need to fix about myself? As if somehow loving kindness would mean that we wouldn't continue to attend to our growth and our development, our learning. And as if somehow being hard on ourselves would be more likely to make us grow and develop and change. And yet the truth of it is that it doesn't. Being hard on ourselves, judging ourselves doesn't actually bring us forward. It's honouring ourselves, it's bringing... And connecting with that sense of caring for, appreciation for. That is really the foundation from which kindness, real, very natural kindness, flows. And so as we're practicing, we can understand in a certain way that we're we're planting seeds. We're not forcing something to happen. It's not like we can make our hearts open or we can somehow you know, grab hold of and drag out of ourselves some sense of boundless loving kindness. We're sort of used to being a bit like that, I think, very easily. One can notice the sense of kind of just sort of putting pressure, demands, expectations upon ourselves and to see that that very pattern doesn't really come from the spirit of kindness. And, And how would we do this? How do we engage in this process? if we were really deeply respectful and trusting of our, of our goodness, of our wholesomeness as beings. Like planting seeds, we, we engage in this process, but we can't determine at what time the seeds will germinate, how quickly they will sprout and grow, putting forth leaves and flowers and ultimately bearing fruit. But we can understand that the seeds of kindness that we plant inevitably will lead to something wholesome. It's the very nature of those seeds. And this is something that at the heart of this practice the, the Buddha pointed out to the understanding that the, the nature of our actions is ultimately what that the quality that informs our intentions when we act is ultimately the quality that informs the result of of those actions doesn't mean that it's always comfortable or easy or that because we're inclining our heart and mind towards kindness therefore we're just going to be filled with it immediately and yet something about trusting the goodness in that intention trusting the goodness in our hearts and of course this isn't easy for us we can hear that if I act from kindness happiness will follow and it sounds really nice, it sounds like it makes sort of sense, but it's not always what seems to be our immediate experience. We can sometimes not really quite trust it. Particularly in the beginning day of the retreat, if if that's so for us, we might find ourselves confronting that we're not quite sure we trust it in a certain way. So we might notice how the practice often brings forth not what we think or are seeking to orient ourselves towards, but in fact what seems to be quite its opposite. That we can be wishing kindness and care for ourselves or for another. And yet, even with the genuineness of our intention and the wholeheartedness of our application to that, what we actually find when we check in with ourselves is maybe we're feeling bored with it all. It's like, what's the point of all of this? Or we're feeling irritated, it's like, oh, this is stupid. Oh, you know, this doesn't work. Or or we actually notice some some anger, really quite harsh towards ourselves or towards someone else. And we feel like, Oh gosh, this is really quite not what I was looking for here. This wasn't, you know, what was described on the brochure. You know, this is gonna call up the advertising standards agency and, you know, report um guy house for, you know, misleading um Publicity. And yet somehow it seems to be the nature of the process. That when we turn towards something wholesome, we encounter all the things that are its opposites and that sort of, we could say, stand as gatekeepers to our reconnecting, to our deepening access. And, you know, I always in this context remember the story of a Someone I know very well who was in sort of very committed period of, of practice and doing some 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 loving kindness meditation and had this this little baby. She she described to me how this little baby she was there just wishing well for it. Wishing well. And this image arose of this little baby she's holding it and just giving it a head button. And it was like completely shocking and distressing to her that she should be able to conceive of doing that when she was Wishing kindness to this little being. And yet, it's like to be able to understand that, yes, that's what happens. We start to see that. And if we can see and meet that energy, those reactivities, those patterns in us, with kindness, we begin to transform them. If we drudge them, if we reject them, then... In fact, we're simply repeating and reinforcing the cycle of rejection, of disconnection, of hardening and pushing away others or ourselves or parts of ourselves. And if we look at what's going on when we have reactivity, interestingly, reactivity is inevitably some attempt to take care of ourselves. When we feel numb, it's often because we're not quite sure, we might not even think this consciously, but at some level, we're not quite sure we want to let ourselves feel what's here, because it might just be too painful, or scary, or unfamiliar. Sometimes that's what's going on, or it's just too much, our life is so busy and so full that we just need to desensitize ourselves just to be able to cope with the onslaught, the influx, the ongoing impact of what goes on and this often chaotic and pressured and stressful world that we can live in. And that we sort of become less connected as a protective mechanism. And likewise when we feel angry and we're trying to sort of push away or we have some strong reactivity, we can see that there's a way in which we're trying to somehow take care of ourselves in that. Trying to protect ourselves from something that's impinging on us, that feels harmful or hurtful. I'll come back to that a little more but it's important to understand that even our reactivity actually has a link to our caring. Even the judgmental, harsh, critical and angry expressions and experiences we can find within us at times actually come from the fact that we care. And... As well as that, when we might feel like we're full of all this, you know, anything but metta. Any, what I'm going through is anything but loving kindness. It sometimes seems like that. If we just stop and notice how it affects us, that that's happening. You know, if I just ask myself, "Oh, so how is it for me that I'm, I'm feeling really irritated right now or angry or numb? And it's like, that's actually not what I wish for. And there's a perhaps a sense of a a concern or a sorrow or a sadness that this is the condition I'm encountering or struggling with. And if in that one sees, we can see, oh, actually that's because I care. That's because I care. We might come and speak in the in the in the interview group or the you know, in and meeting here on the retreat with with Kirsten or I, about something that's difficult and feel like, oh, this isn't love and kindness. And yet we care about the fact that that's happening. That's where the kindness is. That's where the caring is. If we know how to look, it's never that far away. And that we might care about being caught in reactivity. It's not like, oh... So what? Yeah, full of anger. I don't mind. It feels horrible, but so what? It's not like that. I've never heard someone come and say that to me. It's like, wow, it's painful. It's not what I wish for. And so there's a a pathway back to our caring in that very experience, if we can see and understand that. And if we can bring kindness to it, the fact that we care about it, If we don't reject it, then again we're cutting through the cycle of reactivity. And this is part of what we're asked to do. To keep coming back again and again and again. To the simple intention of extending kindness. And it may be that we start to notice that it does touch us. There are moments where we can feel a sense of more openness. Even if they seem relatively few or fleeting. Or for some it may feel more steady and accessible. We don't know the conditions that we're... We can't easily compare or measure the conditions that we're facing. We can't know if somehow we've sort of done it really well or not. And so it's useful to... Just put that down because the capacity of our heart to respond is is determined not just by the caring that's there and our willingness or our interest to connect with it but also the degree of pressure or challenge that we might be facing at any given time. And sometimes when we're under a lot of pressure there's various challenges or difficulties sometimes that helps us in connecting and other times it actually challenges us. And yet wherever we are in the process, whatever is happening, whatever is possible, to really trust that, to really trust that, it's not somehow that it shouldn't be happening this way. And so, as well as the sense of kindness, what's, being cultivated here, what we're turning towards again is our capacity to reconnect, our capacity to re-engage with a conscious sense of that caring, with a with a responsivity that's informed by the fact that we're connecting with something that we value, our life, our heart, our body, or connecting with someone else that we value, that we appreciate. It's allowing ourselves to be close to And closer and closer to that sense of what we most deeply value in life. Because through bringing ourselves more closely in contact with that, it seems somehow quite organically that our life starts to, and our heart starts to deepen in its contact with that sense of value. And with the natural sense of appreciation and care that flows in response to it. And so, as a, as a fundamental sort of benefit, we could say, of the loving kindness practice, it's a deepening sense of connection. And even if what we're connecting to is something that's challenging, in the very quality of the connection itself, there's an immense richness and support and nourishment for us. This is something really important to begin to understand that we often imagine that the value or the quality of our life is determined by what we're connecting with. And if it isn't something we find easy or in accord with what we wish for, we tend to think, I don't want to connect with that. We don't necessarily think it consciously, but that's how we tend to react. And yet, the quality that we feel in the experience with something we do want to connect with is much more to do with the connection and the connectedness that happens than the thing we're connecting with. Of course it's easier with something we want to be connected with. And understandably. So it's appropriate that you know there's a certain amount of you know, bringing ourselves into contact with those things we want to be connected with in life. That makes sense. And yet a certain amount of life involves being connected with things that we, we don't choose or seek or wish to be connected with. And yet if we can actually move through the resistance to connecting, the connection itself becomes the reward, so to speak, or the fulfillment. And as we start to see that, then, in fact, there's many more opportunities for discovering connection, for receiving nourishment and fulfillment. It stops becoming dependent upon what particular conditions we're encountering around us or within us. And so this opening of our heart is an opening into an intimacy with life. In which that very intimacy itself is what we're interested in. And it said... And I'm not meaning to get into an advertisement here, but to, sometimes love just to reflect on the, some of the traditional, um, what's described as the results or benefits of loving kindness of metta practice, and uh, some of the things that, that, that you know it's spoken of in the tradition that that when we practice, when one establishes oneself in this practice, that one will sleep easily and wake easily, that other beings will care for and love and. Protect us. That our faces will be radiant. Our minds serene. That we will die unconfused. And we will be reborn in happy realms. And whether that is relevant to you, that last, you know, we sometimes may have a, for many I think a sort of a ambivalent relationship to the concept of rebirth. Whether or not we think in those terms, and certainly we don't need to, it's not that one has to have a view either way there, but the sense of, in a way, coming back into life. That as we deepen in love and kindness, in each moment and every new situation we encounter, we could say we're coming back into life, being born again. And there's something about, there's a happiness to that when our hearts are established in kindness. Even in the face of adversity even in the face of difficulty. And it's a, it's a very natural thing for us to wish to be connected with this capacity. It's, it's actually perhaps one of the strongest, most powerful things within us, is the wish actually to be able to be connected with our capacity for love. it can often be that we and this is perhaps how it's more commonly articulated that we feel like we want to be loved that we need to be loved and of course it's important for us and particularly when we're young to receive love and you know the studies that have taken place suggest that you know without some degree of love we just won't survive although probably we didn't, any of us, get it quite perfectly, or as we might entirely have wished for it, but somehow that we got here, there's a receiving of love in our life for it to sustain. Even just the love expressed in the the physical care that sustains our life. And yet in the the yearning that we have to be loved, it's such a, a strong part of our culture. You know, We see this thing about seeking for love, for romantic love, for familial love, as though this is really what's important and central. Precious and beautiful as, it, as that is, and important as that is, from my own sort of reflection on this, it seems to me that what happens when we're loved is that we feel free to love. We feel safe to love. We feel connected with our capacity to love. And it's that which is actually so important. In fact, if we can be connected to our capacity to love, to, ex- to, to, to extend our own loving heart, we're not so dependent upon receiving the love of others. We don't feel That that must happen. Of course, it's not that one wouldn't be wishing for it and looking for it and appreciating it when it was there. But it's like we we imagine, I think, maybe unconsciously, that it's the love of another that unlocks our heart. And this can be our experience, and that can be so. And yet in the practice of loving kindness, we can we can actually find that key for ourselves, that our own caring and extended towards ourselves can unlock the caring of our heart. That we're not dependent on another for that. And that the extending of loving kindness becomes something unconditional. Rather than being part of a bargain or a deal that we're making with someone else, or even with ourselves, I'll like you if, I'll care for you if, but not if you do that. It's like, what would it be for that to be unconditional? One of the elements of our our experience that makes it really hard to open to ourselves unconditionally is the way in which we form conclusions about ourselves, form views about ourselves, that based on seeing and receiving feedback, seeing our own action sometimes having feedback or responses from others, we, we pick up very early a sense of somehow that we're not okay. Somehow we have to make ourselves different. That perhaps we are wrong or bad in some way or form. And it's pervasive in our culture to the degree that I would call it a disease and a, a disabling one, an infectious one, tragically, that gets passed through generations unconsciously. And spreads through contact unconsciously, and you know so far as it's an infection, you know this is a hospital, and we're sort of just learning what it means to start to to cleanse the environment slowly of that of that pattern of that habit of that tendency. Kirsten today and this afternoon spoke about forgiveness and introduced the practice of offering forgiveness, asking forgiveness for ourselves, offering forgiveness to others, and to uh, offering forgiveness to ourselves. And this this quality of forgiveness is it's it's something that we We really need to take care, or give care to, supporting in ourselves. That's something I I think we all yearn for forgiveness, for things we may have done. It's natural, because we're caring beings. And yet, sometimes we act in ways that cause harm. We can see also that when we've been harmed ourselves, how the heart closes and how it's painful, it's imprisoning. like the heart we, we close down, we withdraw, we harden or disconnect in order to protect ourselves, but in fact we become imprisoned. And so this wish for forgiveness in recognizing the pain of holding, the pain of anger, the pain of hatred. We naturally want to to open our hearts again. I had the uh, remarkable blessing, really, um, a number of years ago, of being invited to participate in a in a walk in Israel, in the uh, the time of the I think it's now known as the Second Intifada or uprising, in which there was a immense and tragic amount of violence between the the Jewish and the Arab communities, the Israeli and Palestinian communities within um, within Israel and the occupied territories. And a group of friends involved with the Dharma set up a uh, an intention to walk from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, to walk and to be outside a group of, uh, of both Jews and Arabs and they invited me to participate and it was, a, it was a remarkable journey for a week walking and being, living, camping outside sometimes and sometimes inside, but just being completely exposed in an environment in which most people were barricading themselves in their houses out of fear of bombs going off and Israeli army incursions into the Arab communities. So There was a lot of fear, a lot of anger. And we talked at one point, one evening, I was very struck by a particular conversation or exploration when we were in this journey together around what it is that was so painful. And it was particularly for the loss of a life or loss of someone one cared for, one's friend or relative or just part of one's community to an act of violence and hostility. Whether it be the hostility of a of a uh, of a bomb planted in public transport, and I was on a bus going to Jerusalem. When on the news came and there was broadcasted on the radio in the bus, the, the report of a a bomb exploding on a bus to Jerusalem. And it was sort of like it wasn't the bus I was on, but it felt very immediate, the sense of what that was. And I was there as a as a a visitor a guest although i have some family in israel so i have some roots there also and what 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 came out from our discussions around what was so hard here because in fact many more people die in car accidents in israel than ever have been killed by the by the violence in both communities people more people die in car accidents but what was so painful about this is that we realized that it actually people felt compelled to hate because of it. They felt they couldn't do other than that. And that the hatred was actually the deeper harm. Understanding this, it, it brings, I think, a real motivation for us to understand what happens here in the closing of our hearts. So we don't judge that condition if we encounter it in ourselves or another, but we seek to understand it. And understanding it is really to understand why harm happens, why violence happens, why cruelty happens in this world. And to support that understanding, I'd just like to invite you to imagine a scenario I'm going to describe. And this is something that I found really helpful for myself in a conversation with a friend as a way of expressing this. And it's, it's, so it's just an imagined story. But just let yourself imagine, if you will, for a moment, that you're going for a walk in the woods somewhere where you like to walk. And as you're walking in the woods, you see a small puppy. And having some appreciation and enjoyment of, of puppies, as you may do, certainly I, I enjoy sort of creatures like that, you just naturally reach out to stroke the puppy, as you would, without thinking. A so just kindly, friendly gesture. Just imagine in that moment of doing that, the puppy bites your hand quite fiercely, draws blood, and what your response is? Like, you bad dog! You, you might, I want to teach you a lesson. You know, you know, you need to understand something here. And we we could feel how there would be. Uh, my sense when I imagine it. Eh? done this a lot of times. Some of you have probably heard me talk about it more than once. But I still can have the sense of how visually I'd maybe want to strike that creature. Even though I take the precepts very to my heart. The strength of that reaction would be strong in that situation. And you imagine in that moment where your hand's been bitten, suddenly you see that the puppy's foot is caught in one of those spring-loaded traps with jaws that are used for catching small creatures in the woods sometimes. And imagine in that moment what would happen to your response. Your hand is still in pain. You've still been bitten. It still hurts. Maybe you're still scared and reactive. And yet suddenly we understand that this puppy is in pain and in fear. And trying somehow desperately to extract itself from the suffering that it's in. Unconsciously. Unskillfully. But that's what's actually going on here. It's not that it hates us or it's an aggressive dog or a bad dog. It's in pain and fear and desperate to get out of it. And if we were to reflect on our own lives, and this is something I find it really important to do on a regular basis, particularly in this context of forgiveness and loving kindness, if we reflect on our lives, and this is something I see for myself, and I trust you too will see it if you do, when I've done things that have hurt people or harmed people, whether intentionally wanting to hurt, occasionally it happens, it seems, sadly, or more often unintentionally, unconsciously, it's because I'm in pain, because I'm afraid, it's because in some way something in me is under so much pressure, desperately trying to get away from the suffering that it's struck out, that it's pushed away someone, or that it's taken and grabbed something that I feel I must have and deprived someone else from it. And those movements of greed or of anger, they actually come from our own suffering, born of blindness and reactivity to it. And in seeing that, it's possible to have a sense of of really wanting to transform that reactivity but not needing to judge or close down to or harden our heart to ourselves or to whoever might have caused the harm. And so if we were to imagine, again, we were walking in the woods and some, some time has passed, we've forgotten all about the last story. And we're walking in the woods and it's autumn. And the trees are beautiful colours. And the path. We see a small puppy and we reach out to, you can tell what's going to happen, and we reach out to stroke and it bites your hand. Now imagine as you look at this puppy and you've been bitten, you see that it's standing shoulder deep in leaves. You can't see its legs. You've got no way of knowing or seeing directly that it's in pain and suffering. What would it take to know that its foot was in a trap? What would that mean for us? What might I need to understand? And for me, the understanding that would be transformative that's there is that it's not the nature of puppies to want to cause harm. It's not the nature of puppies to want to cause harm. It's just the reaction to the pain. That's what's playing out. And if it's happening, if that angry, or if that harm is being caused, it's because there is pain. And something in that—I mean, puppies are kind of sweet, and well, if you like them anyway, and sort of can be fun. Um, but it's like something about ourselves as beings too—something tender and soft, and vulnerable and sweet also that we try and protect in our reactivity. And seeing in this way, understanding in this way, it seems much more possible, more natural, to be able to forgive the harm that has been caused us and equally to forgive ourselves for the harm that we have may, co- may have caused in the world, even sometimes with good intentions, that we've caused harm <clears throat> at times. to be able to really forgive ourselves for this. To forgive others. To understand that even those unskillful actions come from caring. Caring about. Though in it what often happens is the sense of our caring has become restricted. Has become narrowed down. This happens to others. It happens to us. So that in a moment where we're under pressure we, we we stop remembering to care for other for the other that we've hurt or that we may hurt and we're only caring for ourselves we're only quite able to see that and then reactivity happens but when our heart is more open when we can hold the other, then caring respects and includes all parties and when the puppy has bitten our hand it doesn't mean we, we kind of allow it to eat our fist eat our and you know, it's like okay you can eat me because you're suffering it's not like we kind of become somehow passive or weak and unable to respond in the face of such activity we can still say actually no puppy this is not a good idea stop biting me you know remove our hand but then we might actually more want to be concerned with also helping the puppy to get out of the trap We see that both responses are important. Sometimes we need to be really firm in saying, no, something is not acceptable. But we can do so without closing our hearts because we understand it comes from suffering. Sometimes with ourselves we need to be firm. When we see patterns of behavior that don't serve us. And sometimes what we can see is patterns of thinking where... You know, we're harsh and judgmental to ourselves. To be able to just say, no, this actually doesn't support us. Just to put it down. To come back again to well-wishing towards ourselves. Extending kindness towards ourselves. And doing that equally out of a sense of caring. So that the caring starts to become liberated starts to become released from the way in which it is circumscribed or bound or limited by the views and the the perceptions and the conclusions we form about ourselves, about others. And so then this, this practice of loving kindness becomes something that naturally deepens into our heart, deepens into our life, that just can give us a little bit of space to pause before the reaction, to see whether we can bring something fresh, something kindly into that space that we might otherwise have found more difficult. So let's just sit quietly for a minute or two together. In our retreat here and in our lives, may we may we all deepen in appreciating the goodness of our own hearts. May we deepen in forgiveness and understanding. May we deepen in loving kindness for our own well-being and for the welfare of all beings.